Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and today we have a special edition of the show, the Tiny House Insurance Q&A. My guest is Martin Burlingame from the Strategic Insurance Agency, which has risen to national prominence in their ability to insure tiny houses on wheels. This is a really informative conversation, and I encourage anyone who is considering building a tiny house or living tiny now to learn more about insuring your home. We cover a lot of topics in our conversation, from getting builder's insurance to cover your project as you build, what certifications are required to get insurance for your tiny, flood insurance, earthquake insurance, and way more. I do hope you stick around. And if you like what you hear, I truly hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. I'll give you more info about that after the interview. Let's jump into it. My guest today is Martin Burlingame of the Strategic Insurance Agency. While meeting with tiny house enthusiasts at the 2015 National Tiny House Jamboree, Martin came to realize the crisis that tiny homeowners were having finding insurance. After the 2015 Jamboree, Martin continuously heard from builders, marketing companies, bloggers, and tiny homeowners that insurance was a huge concern in order for the movement to continue to progress. He then worked with multiple insurance companies to develop custom programs for the tiny house industry. Martin Burlingame, thanks for being here. How are you doing? Awesome. Awesome. So I figured we could just start uh, by asking, you know, what kinds and sizes of tiny houses can you cover? Um, We can do anything from the do-it-yourself to the builder built. We can do on wheels, skids, or stationary. We can do tiny homes to container homes. This particular program caps out at about 500 plus or minus feet. So you can get some park model homes in there as well. Uh, It becomes more cost effective if you've got a 900 square foot house to have a homeowner policy uh, because normally those don't move. Got it. And so is this insurance like homeowners insurance, but for tiny houses? It is. So we went down the path of creating a homeowner product and then we manuscripted, which is insurance talk for custom making a trip endorsement that allows the home to move. Okay. So you've got homeowner's insurance that covers the house, the appliances, your stuff in the house, and plus it can be moved. Correct. And it covers the home if it gets stolen, if you want that. It covers the home when it's moving. Um, like a homeowner product, you could have separate structures. So if you had detached uh, solar panels or uh, you're in a park model kind of setup, and you have a, a shed, that kind of stuff, it's covered. Um, so it's, it's more homeowner-like than it is RV-like. Okay. And so can this cover something that's even completely DIY built? Like, you know, I, I did the plumbing myself. I did the electric myself. Yes. Um, my, the only thing I don't like is if you built your trailer yourself, Okay. not built on the trailer, but if you actually custom built a trailer, uh, the reason for that is if you go and find a trailer maker and buy a trailer made or whatever company you're using, if something goes wrong with the trailer, there is a company you can go after. Okay. If you built it yourself and you lose all the wheels on the highway and create a massive, uh, accident, um, there's a lot of problems. So the only thing we don't do is if you, I don't know, found some metal, welded it together and added wheels and created your own trailer. 
yet another reason to go with a trailer, a new trailer by a professional company. I'm I'm frequently telling people to start with the best possible foundation they can for their tiny houses and not to not to skimp on the trailer. Yeah, that's the most important part. I mean, if something happens on the highway, it's usually trailer driven and they're much better at handling loads and sway and are just for that stuff versus not doing a good job. But I, you know, I've only ever had one uh, trailer that was uh, made by somebody who declined that policy. Almost everyone uses builders. Yeah, it's definitely not a, a time. It's, it would be a time consuming and very labor intensive process to build a trailer and you would definitely need some special skills and equipment to do it. So I don't see many people doing it either. Yeah, the welding alone. I mean, most people don't have the welding equipment. Exactly. So if someone wants to move their house, this insurance travels with them from state to state, wherever they go? Correct. So there's two ways to do it. You can either have a permanent uh, trip endorsement for the year. And we have a lot of the uh, luminaries of the tiny home movement who are moving around the country all the time have that version. Or we have people who do one-off moves. It's cheaper, but they notify us they're going from point A to point B. Got it. And so they kind of get that waiver added to their policy for that time. Correct. Right. It's not, I mean, it's cheaper. It's 50% the price, but um, you know, if you're moving it three more than twice a year, we just do the annual move. Got it. So, you know, before our interview, I reached out to my community and asked what tiny house insurance questions, you know, people out there had. And uh, I got a couple different versions of the same question where people were in the process of building right now and they were curious at what point during their build they were able to get insurance for their build. Well, we require two pictures of the tiny home. Uh, It does not have to be interior pictures. So as long as the exterior shell is done, we're fine. We prefer it was completely done, um, but you can give me two pictures of the exterior and we're good to go. Um, What I don't want to do is not have siding or roofing on. And then you have a water exposure, right? You're out in a, you started in October in Maine and November comes and you can't work on it anymore. And there's four feet of snow on your tiny home. Got it. So this isn't the same thing as like builder's insurance that you would have to cover the project. No. And and the problem you have is you could technically we could build a we could create a builder's risk policy, but the cost of it and the amount, the length of time it takes most people to build a tiny home, it just not cost effective. Got it. So as long as the exterior is done, you can you can qualify. Now, one of the questions that I got is, you know, Uh, from uh, a listener named Lauren. And what she said is, right now my goal is to make my tiny house livable, but what if I make improvements to it later, like adding air conditioning or a porch or, you know, a fancy dishwasher? Would the coverage change as improvements are made or would she have to get a new policy to cover those things? Um, It's like a homeowner policy, right? I mean, let's say you redo, you know, you've got a 2000 square foot house with a kitchen that looked like it came out of the seventies with avocado and stuff like that. And you spend $50,000 redoing the kitchen, putting top line appliances. in. as long as you notify your insurance agent, they can modify the and increase the value. If you don't tell anyone, 
Well, I mean, then nobody knows you did that. But I mean, you could. So the split unit's going to be on the the building cost. The uh, the appliances are going to be built in. So you would just say, hey, my tiny home is now instead of being fifty thousand, it's fifty five thousand dollars. That seems easy enough. It's relatively simple. I mean, it takes a couple minutes. What is your uh, What are your thoughts about the tiny house certifications, like RVIA certification, and do you require any kind of certifications to insure? We don't. We don't. So there's there's national certifications by governing bodies. So there's ANSI, RVIA. Um, those are uh, national bodies that certify stuff. So a lot of the builders are going down the path of getting RVIA certified, which is recreational vehicles. Others are going down the ANSI path for stationary homes or container homes or however they're, they're doing it. And those are all fine. We do them all uh, without a problem. There are companies who privately inspect your home. Uh, whether or not they certify them is always open up to debate. Um, and there's four or five companies out there that do that. Some in Florida, anywhere from Florida to California. Uh, there's, I, I think, five or six companies now that do that. And what they'll do is uh, review your do-it-yourself build and make sure you're complying as close as possible to the ANSI or RVIA certifications. That's interesting because what I hear from people who are pursuing those certifications for their own builds one of the big reasons they want to do it is for insurance purposes. And then the other big reason they want to do it is that there are some RV parks that won't allow non-certified structures. Right, because it's an RV park. So they're looking for an RVIA certification to allow you in. Right. But it sounds like the insur- if, you know, if you're going after one of these certifications strictly for the insurance benefits, you might not need to. Well, it depends on how you're insuring it. So there's uh, one large company out there who we can actually do insurance policies through who insures comp- uh, tiny homes as RVs. Um, and to do that, th- you require certificate an RVIA certification or uh, one of the other certification companies uh, to go down that path. Um, we insure it as a home, so we don't require the RV certification uh, or the ANSI build certification. Um, it's preferential that a builder has it usually um, because they're complying with the rules, but there's five or six different national certification bodies for builders, depending on what they're doing. And we're not in the governing body world. Got it. Okay. So you're kind of, you're kind of agnostic. It sounds like it, it, you could have it or you could not have it. We are. We're agnostic. I mean, we, we've insured hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tiny homes. We're not at a thousand yet, but we're getting pretty close on a yearly basis. And, um, you know, we've seen certified homes that have had problems and we've had seen do-it-yourselfers without problems. We've had builder builds that were phenomenal. Uh, and we've had others that were questionable and the builders are out of business. So, you know, I, it's just like any home getting built. Sometimes it's done well and sometimes it's not. So does the insurance include liability insurance to cover you know, visitors? So we do it as a homeowner policy. So it comes in two parts. There's the dwelling property and the dwelling liability. Okay. So we just offer the liability portion. Uh, you can, it's optional. Um, you can take it or not take it. Uh, we do either 50, 100, or 300,000. 
Um, we also allow people to, uh, to do short-term rentals and annual rentals in their tiny homes. So you see a lot of 300,000 liabilities for the renter ones, right? Because they've got five or six out there that they're concerned about issues. Yeah, that that makes sense. And then I would also guess that a savvy, you know, a savvy landlord who is maybe hosting somebody in a tiny house might want to be named as an additional insured as a, you know, for liability. There are companies who specialize in short-term rentals. Now, they don't insure the structures, but they offer coverage for the short-term renter world, which is the biggest concern. Um, there, are, you know, in our model, in, in our communities of tiny homes, there are people who act as hotels. There are people who act as short-term rentals. Um, there are some who are renting them out long-term in, in urban areas. It's it's a very evolving and changing dynamic that's going on. So we've partnered with a short-term rental insurance company so that you can get insurance when people rent it on any of the websites. And since we're not, we're not promoting, I won't bring up, and we all know all the different websites for, for, uh, short-term rentals. Of course, of course. Um, so what you do is you go out there and every time somebody rents your place, it costs four bucks a day and they, it gets billed to the customer and you have insurance. If the customer does damage to your house, we would cover it as well, but what you don't want to do is get down the world of having a lot of small claims on your insurance policy, right? Cause then you get canceled at some point by somebody and it gets very complicated to get insurance. Right. You don't, you don't want to get canceled is my understanding. Right. You never want to get canceled. My understanding of insurance is, you know, you don't want to put in a claim for, you know, a cracked window that costs $200 to fix. You want to save the, the claim for, you know, something more catastrophic. Yeah, insurance is a catastrophic protection is what it's designed to do. Everyone's definition of catastrophic is different, right? I mean, some people get absorbed $10,000 without blinking an eye. Other people have no money at all, and $500 is, is a catastrophe. Uh, so people make those decisions. But what you don't want to do is have a bunch of claims that are below the deductible. And we see this all the time on homeowners policies where somebody will file a win claim for – because they think there's damage and the inspector will come out and say it's $900 of damage and you have a $1,000 deductible. So there's no claim or it's $1,050 and you have a $1,000 deductible. So here's your check for $50. Well, that's great, except that that adversely impacts the amount your insurance costs. Right? I mean, it's the same thing with car insurance. It's frequency. You have frequency and you have severity. And those are the two problem children in insurance. So a couple more questions from listeners. Um, is there a chance for flood insurance included in the homeowner's insurance? No. Um, technically, well, let me rephrase it. You could get flood if it was a park model non-movable, right? The regular tiny home, you just move it. Okay. Um, we can offer earthquake, so that we can offer. Uh, I think I've had one person buy Earthquake in California, but it's offered and it follows the home anywhere it goes in the country. Um, so that one's doable because there is a, a legitimate, you know, the ground opens up and your house falls in. Right. Um, the flooding, the problem you have is flooding is driven by the federal government's maps 
And if you're moving your tiny home around, what map zone do you want me to be in? Do you want me to if you start in on top of a mountain in Colorado, which has no flooding, and then you end up along the Mississippi River and you know that has frequency flooding problems and you want flood insurance, the insurance companies aren't comfortable moving that around. Right. What if it was a stationary tiny house? Yeah, you could get flood. We could get a company to do it. Uh, I mean, most tiny homes aren't built in floodplains if they're permanent. Most of the communities are, you know, in just because the cost, the mortgage company, I mean, if you're doing permanent homes, there's sometimes there's a better chance of getting mortgages versus loans and mortgage companies are going to require flood insurance anytime a bank's involved. They're going to want the flood insurance if you're in a, in that zone. Are there personal property riders available to cover cover your possessions in your home? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so we offer, in the insurance world, you have coverage A, B, C, and D for homeowners, and then E for liability and F for medical or M, depending on what company you are. So if you buy liability, you get liability and medical. Medical comes with it. So medical is your friend comes over and slips on the staircase. Instead of having to sue the insurance company, there's a medical provision. So up to a certain amount is covered to help them so that there doesn't have to be attorneys and lawsuits. Um, The liability is obviously slips and falls. Your dog bites somebody. Your, um, uh, I can come up, you can come up with a thousand different excuses, but usually it involves guests at your house. And something happens to them. They eat some food and bite on an olive pit and destroy their their entire uh, bite. Um, the property coverage A, B, C, and D. We do A, B, and C. So A is the dwelling. So it's the tiny home. B is the separate structures. So anything detached from the building uh, that's on the property. It's not a, a barn two states over. We see a lot of people do solar panels there. Um some people have decks that are built, permanent structured decks that they bring their tiny home up to. And then some people with permanent location tiny homes might have a shed. So that's your separate structures. Um, you don't see the numbers aren't as big as in a home where you could have a horse barn on your property or something like that. Um, and then coverage C is personal property. Uh, we can go up to $25,000 and that's everything loose within the tiny home. So bedding, clothing, pots, pans, plates, um, all that kind of stuff. Interesting. So I'm assuming that anything that's attached, such as like a furnace or a stove, that would be considered, that's part of A, that's part of the home. That's A. Yeah, we put it in there. I mean, you could argue back and forth of where it goes. We just stick it in A. It's the same price between A and C and B. We don't charge any different. Here's a question, and I had never heard of this, um, but I'm hoping you have. Are there any homeowner warranties available that cover catastrophic or everyday failures of equipment and appliances in a tiny home? And how does that differ from a traditional home? Well, that's a good question. So right now, we don't have one there. We're in the throat. So what you're talking about is a home warranty program. There's a couple out there. There are standalone programs you can buy or if you're buying a traditional home, your real estate agent buys for you that covers failure of a bunch of different items. You can also have a mechanical breakdown policy. And we see those a lot on regular homes where the you know, lightning strikes the home and it fries your 62 inch wall mounted TV. 
because that's what most people have in tiny home. But it fries it and fries all the equipment inside the house. Um, we're in discussions with one of the companies to add it. Um, the real issue is figuring out how it how it's going to handle with the moving of the tiny home. So right now, no, but it, we are in discussions. I offered on my other products. So, I mean, I have the companies that do it. We're just trying to come up with a plan on how to, you know, the problem is everything has a physical address and a tiny home has a physical location that could be in multiple places through the course of a year. So how does that get handled? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm curious from your sense, because you're, you, you probably have a big sample to draw from what percentage of tiny homes that you're insuring are moving all the time versus, you know, they are built on a trailer, they're movable, but it's, it's an every year or every once in a while kind of thing. Maybe 5% move all the time. Okay. So the majority of them are staying still. It's not an easy move, right? I mean, so you, you take your, say you got a thousand tiny homes to move. First of all, if you're going to hire somebody to move you, you can't do it a lot because it's very expensive. So what subsection of that thousand has F-250s or F-350s to move tiny homes versus Priuses because they're energy conscious or, uh, you know, Chevy Volts? I mean, so you have to have a truck that can move the tiny home. Um, so that's the first problem. Then the second problem is a lot of people have kids <laughs> and, and you can homeschool, but a lot of people have their kids going to school and are permanent so the kids have friends and stuff like that. So that reduces. So what you see, even among some of the luminaries who move around the country a lot, quite often the tiny home stays in a location and they take their car and go somewhere. Right. Or they have like a, a second tiny home, like a van or a small schoolie or something. I mean, it's just not easy to move it. Um, I think it's a great idea that you're going to move it weekly to different locations. It's just a large move. Now, we have a lot of people who do three, four, five moves a year, right? They, they're in uh, Minnesota and they move to Arizona in, in October and then maybe they go to the National Jam and you know, they move back somewhere in, in April and maybe go to a National Jamboree or something like that or, or a local thing and bring their tiny home and then um, and that kind of stuff. Now, the builders are a different game, right? We have a policy for builders. It's different. And with the builders, their tiny homes are moving a lot more because they're, they're show models and they're, going, they're trying to show the value of the tiny home at different locations and get buyers. So those move a decent amount. Now, that being said, we had a nonprofit who most people know. They move that tiny home every day for the entire year. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, and they went and gave uh, speeches about sustainable living and that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that I noticed looking at your website is that you can't yet insure schoolies. And I'm curious what the, I understand that there are some distinctions that kind of put them into another category. We can insure schoolies. I just don't like insuring schoolies. <laughs> okay. It's not, a, it's not a negative against the schoolie world, but it is to a degree. Schoolies... The problem is it's a moving vehicle. So there's, you know, the driving record of the driver has a huge impact. State rules on how you're going to license the schoolie have, you know, some states will move them to an RV very easy. Others will leave them as a commercial bus until a certain time. If it's a commercial 
you know, the and then on top of that, quite often people are modifying their schoolies and they need insurance in the initial stages to get it from where they're buying it to where they're going. And then they don't want insurance and until it's finished. Now we have, I don't know, 30, 25, 30 schoolies on the books. And those are people who live more of a vagabond life um, and they're traveling the country in their, in their converted buses. And that's no problem. In fact, I just got a request in last night uh, for one and it's been converted. So if it's converted and uh, you know, it's, it's, they've got an RV certification from the state, um, we can do the schoolies. Okay. Um, the difference is the engine, right? I mean, that's, that's your differentiation. One's a house, one's an RV, truly an RV. Right. And I hadn't even thought about the driving record. It's, it's, it's much more like getting auto insurance where your record of, you know, how many speeding tickets and accidents you have can factor, you know, can change your rate dramatically. Well, yes. I mean, you got, you know, we had one come in where somebody had a couple DUIs. I mean, you can't write it. I mean, you've got a, a bus on the road and you've got a bad driving record. Um, now that applies to tiny homes as well, but we don't see the driving record uh, of the person, you know, because we don't require it. Now we did just roll out a discount on tiny homes uh, with a partnership with one of the larger insurance companies. And we're just rolling that out right now. Um, so that should be, they're very interested in the tiny home world and they're going to give us, well, it's not preferential on the car insurance, but it'll be preferential on the tiny homes if, if you have insurance with them. Okay. Oh, and can you say what company that is or is that still I under wraps? No. Um, I know that Peyton Manning did advertising for him, but <laughs> okay. uh, I just don't, I mean, I, I don't, uh, <laughs> Um, I, no you know, problem. We can yeah. update. We can update people when that when that gets announced. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. Um, what What else is next for for tiny house insurance? What are you working on? Um, well, we just rolled out a reduction in the pricing. Um, our we we were able to do the analysis the last three years, so we just rolled in a fifteen percent price reduction. Great. Um, that's going live. In fact, that's what I was doing when you when I said I had to do programming when you called in. So really, you're the you're the source of all this information, right? Your podcast is announcing a 15 percent reduction in our insurance pricing. All right, you heard it here first. <laughs> um, so we just rolled that out. That's about it. I mean, the the market is is growing, but I think it's slowed down on its growth a bit. The tiny house market. The tiny house market, uh, and you're seeing more and more people that are using tiny homes as, um, and then these are tiny homes on wheels. Um, we're seeing a big upswing on permanent tiny homes. So people who are making uh, container type homes that can be structurally modified to be linked together and put into urban settings in some of the cities where zoning has become a lot more lenient towards the tiny home world. The issue is that's no longer do it yourself or world. Right. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I, I like to remind people if you, if you kind of go back and learn about Jay Schaefer's story who, you know, started tumbleweed and in a way is, is kind of the modern, the, the kind of the, the starter of the modern tiny house movement. Of course there have been tiny houses forever. Um, you know, putting it on wheels was his response to not being allowed to build a house smaller than a certain square footage in his town. 
And so the wheels are, you know, are a response to a law. And I think many of us tiny house dwellers didn't don't necessarily want to move the house all the time. Many people want to retire to tiny houses. They want to own land. They want to have a homestead. And so I think that the trend of the houses coming off the wheels is is totally fine and shouldn't be shouldn't be thought badly about. Well, and it's it's a response. I mean, you have an entire generation. And I mean, it's more it's more cross generational now where the cost of housing has become so astronomical that people are unable to afford housing. Uh, and uh, if you're in certain parts of the country, the cost of housing is inflated by astronomical percentages. If you look at the cost of a house in Indiana versus the cost of a house in San Francisco, you can see that even if they're the identical house. So the, the cost of the home has no difference. It's the inflation for location and, and so on. And what, ha- what has to happen to, to help people is come up with a way for people to be able to live in communities where they work at an affordable cost. So you see that in the mountain areas. You know, the cost of housing and the ski resorts is astronomical. So the ski resorts are coming up with strategies to reduce the cost of housing for their temporary workforce. Um, you know, and you have to you have to come up with a way to help the people who are going to be supporting you and living in your community. If they all have to commute two hours, then all you're doing is putting all those people on the road for four hours a day, which cause I mean, from an environmental footprint is a disaster. Yeah. And, you know, from an economic footprint is bad because they're not spending money. If you leave your office and you're 10 minutes away from your house and you go to your house, you might go out with your friends and have dinner. Right. Because you're, you're at home. If you're on the road, all you're doing is paying gas and polluting the air. <laughs> right. Right. So I mean, you have to come up with a solution. And, you know, we haven't built vertically for a long time in a lot of the cities because we've had land. So but there are lots of places where the city has gotten to the boundary of where the city can be. You know, there are so many examples, but I know that Portland, Oregon is one of those places where the city can't get any bigger and they've been on the forefront of promoting ways to increase the density within the city so that they can add housing stock and hopefully add affordable housing. And, and the, the re, one of the big reasons cities want wheels off is they can tax you, right? I mean, so taxation from whether or not you agree to it is a different point, right? I mean, that's not our conversation. on. But the cities would like to get tax money to pay for infrastructure, schools, and roads, and permanently located tiny homes, bring people into the community on a permanent uh, basis, and they're going to pay taxes and uh, sales taxes and so on like that. And it allows more people in a location. So you know, you can take a big open space that has horrible stuff. You can zone it out, clean it up, redistrict it, and put in tiny homes from a community of people who are prideful of their property. And you can urban renovate at the same time as adding more people to support the growing workforce and businesses. So it's a phenomenal structure we're going in. Um, and, you know, I, I don't see it slowing down anytime soon because I think we have density issues in a lot of our cities, especially along the coast. 
The Appendix Q is the effort to add a tiny house building code to the IRC. And I'm curious if that affects insurance. Does it affect it for the better? Does it not affect it at all? What, what's your take on Appendix Q? I have sat in multiple of those meetings and it, it goes to a level where uh, I am unable to understand what's going on. Um, it's a phenomenal idea and I think it's making great strides and we need it. It could affect insurance. So for the permanently located homes, if they can modify the building code to allow a smaller square footage, because a lot of locations have restrictions on this, you have to be over a certain square footage, um, and, which is thus why we have wheels. Um, so if the code changes to allow for smaller homes, more insurance companies would step into the marketplace to insure permanently located tiny homes. The mobile homes, most of the companies, it's still going to be considered a different beast. So it has some, I mean, it could adversely impact me or it could really help me. Right? I mean, it's, it's too early in the, in the world to figure out what's going to happen. If the code changes and there's more tiny homes out there, we would see a larger boom of insur- people who need insurance. Um, at some point, all the major companies would come into it. And we might see some conflict or some channel resolution that we would have to do with the big companies. Well, Martin Burlingame, I want to thank you so much for your time today. This was really, really informative and helpful. Yeah, thanks a lot. And by the way, you heard it first, right? We we put a discount just for you. Awesome. The Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast slash Tiny House Engage discount. I like it. There you go. <laughs> you have a great day. You've been listening to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast with Ethan Waldman. Like what you've heard? Please take a moment to head over to iTunes to rate and review the show. Believe it or not, your reviews are incredibly useful for helping other people find the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. Go to thetinyhouse.net slash iTunes to be directed straight to iTunes where you can leave your review. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much to Martin Burlingame for your time today. You can find the show notes for this episode at thetinyhouse.net slash insurance. And finally, if you're looking for the ultimate guide to planning your tiny house, check out my comprehensive resource, Tiny House Decisions. Tiny House Decisions is the guide I wish I had when I built my tiny house, and it comes in three different packages to help you get a jumpstart on your house. Save hundreds of hours in research and thousands of dollars with tiny house decisions. Learn more at thetinyhouse.net slash THD. We're offering a special discount for podcast listeners. Use the coupon code TINY to take 20% off any package. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD, coupon code TINY for 20% off. That's all, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.